Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate welcome back chelsea fans to another episode of the london is blue podcast as always your host brandon joined by nick and unfortunately not dan uh woke Mm. up not feeling really up to it a bit of a stomach bug so hopefully that passes quickly nick uh but unfortunate for him to miss this one as we have uh one of our favorite guests on again that is right it is the preemptive matt law (laughs) special we're back uh for 2021 matt how are you doing yeah good good i know it's a bit weird to say it 12 days in but happy new year Uh, you know let's hope let's hope for a better end to the month (laughs) than the beginning (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's uh taking some time but look you're busy for a while there match every 36 and a half hours or whatever it may be so <laughs> it was good to let you kind of get cool. everything out there check all the boxes on content and and now we can get back to it and we have a lot to reflect on i think so it'll be good but hey listeners specifically we're going to be talking about chelsea's positive performance in the fa cup plus reactions to chelsea's draw in case you missed it, Luton, uh, and one of Barnsley or Norwich if we advance beyond that. So things looking about as good as they possibly could. And then we'll take a look at if there's any players inching closer to an exit, temporary or permanent, in the winter window. I've completely forgotten that there's a transfer window open right now. Matt, this is like the least exciting transfer window I think I've, <laughs> I've remembered, even for January. Well... I always think January, the, the window starts slowly anyway. I've always I've argued for a long time that the window should just be a week to 10 days because I think you always have three weeks of people messing around and then everything gets done in the last week. So even in normal circumstances, I would expect it to be quite quiet now. But you're right, it's, it's quieter than ever. And all the predictions are from the agents and the chief executives and everyone else around these transfers. So it's going to be the, the quietest we've probably maybe ever had in the Premier League nobody's nobody's got much appetite for spending much money i mean a little bit understandable but all right we'll get into that after the break but for now nick the magic of the fa cup <laughs> chelsea uh doing the business against morecambe obviously we did our match review and talked a lot about that so if you missed it head back into the podcast uh subscription and find that but a lot of the youth players didn't play bait Livermento were seen practicing and it is more about building i think for lampard's first team players so again like nick tee us up as far as fa cup goes we did the business we got a heck of a draw where are we where are we going with this one yeah i think first question 
Matt, would just be a, around the decision. Uh, and, and there was a lot of hype going into the, the match around, you know, could you see like a half and half, you know, academy promotion team and, and first team. And obviously that didn't, didn't happen, but there were still plenty of academy products on the field. Uh, anyway, just not the ones that maybe people were excited to see uh, make their debut. So just wanted to kind of get a pulse check from you on on why do you think uh, why do you think Lampard made those those choices? Yeah, I mean, I've got to be honest. I I never thought there would be much youth in that team. I, I promise, I'm not just saying that now and being wise after the event. It, it didn't make any sense. I know it would have been nice and it would have been fun, um, but given the re- recent results, given the pressure that's on Lampard and the team, given the size of that squad coming into a transfer window with players desperate for minutes who haven't been playing much, senior players, you know, we're not talking kids, mm. we're talking international players. Um, he, he couldn't really do it for two reasons. One, he couldn't take the risk with his own his own job and the, the momentum of the team and everything else. And two, he couldn't take it for the, the risk of the squad harmony. You know, you can't... You can't over, you know, it's hard enough to look over international footballers all through the season in a Premier League season. Then when you come to the FA Cup game and you get the chance to rotate, if you're overlooking those internationals to put youth players in, then you're going to have a harmony problem. And it's no by no means guaranteed that those international players will be able to leave this transfer window because, as I just said at the top, no one's got much appetite for spending money. So... It may be that Lampard has this inflated squad for the whole season, or certainly near enough this squad. Maybe a, a few will go. I'm sure we'll talk about that later. But so he had to do it. He had to do it. He had to try and get them back on track. He had to put positivity in the team through getting a good result and also through showing some of those squad players that haven't been playing all the time that, you know, here are some minutes, here's a chance to impress. I'm not just going to completely freeze you out and and look to the youth unless your name is Marco Alonso. Um, who did get completely frozen out and wasn't in the squad. So it didn't surprise me. It wasn't It wasn't the right moment. You know, there are moments to do these things. And even when you've had the success that Lampard and Chelsea have with their youth recently, you've still got to pick your moments. And uh, look, I, I thought it was the right decision. And it really didn't. It would have much surprised me much more had he have gone the other way. I think it's funny. You talk about the Marcus Alonso thing. It kind of reminds me, it, it, look, it's nowhere near as bad as the Shaka thing for Arteta, but Arteta is able to kind of bring him back into the squad, or maybe Emery did at the time. I can't remember. Um, is this a thing where Lampard has just made his decision because Alonso has kind of crossed an unwritten rule or maybe written rule for Frank as far as like team unity by going to the bus at halftime after getting subbed off? It, it, is it one of the things where he's using Marcos to prove a point to the rest of the squad? Or is there no like reintegration plan for him to be able to put his arm around a player like that and say, hey, you messed up, but there's a path back? I look, you know, you never say never. Um, things change in football a lot, but it's hard to see at the moment how when while Frank Lampard is in charge that that Marcus Alonso will, will play for the club, to be quite honest with you, barring an injury crisis or some sort of suspension crisis because it's just become very clear since that West Brom game that he wants to get him out. You know, he, he doesn't see him as part of the, the furniture at Chelsea. Um, there's obviously been a clash there after the West Brom game. I'm told that's only a small part of it. It's not just because of that. I think there was 
already things going on in the background. I don't think maybe Frank has seen the motivation levels he would wish to see from him of a player who should be trying to sort of fight for their place after a new signing comes in. Frank is a big one for what happens on the training ground, like a lot of managers are these days. And I don't think there's been, look, there was obviously a flashpoint after West Brom. Since then, I, I don't hear of any major rows, but I I just don't get the sense that Frank's seen a player who's motivated enough to to try and win his place back. And I think he, he, he would rather move him on if he can do. Yeah, I, I know we're going to talk about the, the the outgoings in the next segment, so I'll I'll make a, a positive turn on on maybe where the um, where this match is going to lead. Uh, look, Ch- Chelsea had a very fortunate uh, draw in the fourth and fifth rounds. Should they advance past the fourth round, obviously, in the FA Cup with with Luton and then obviously Barnsley and or Norwich. Um, do you see kind of given that draw? Do you see? any of these players or any other fringe players getting another chance in the next round or two, because I mean, it would, it would seem to set up nicely. And I know that we've been concerned about the amount of matches uh, in, in a condensed amount of time moving forward. So you, you, at least from the outside looking at, you can see this as a possible inflection point there. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I think Rudiger will probably play throughout the FA Cup. I was actually surprised. One of the ones I was about Albeit Christensen was injured, I was actually surprised that Zuma Zuma played that game. I, I yeah. thought he would change back to even if it meant Tamori starting. Um, but I think it's clear Rudiger will probably play through the FA Cup. Kepa will continue to play, I'd imagine, until they get to a sort of semi-final stage, and then you might see Mendy come back. It, it, and he will rotate the forward players because the forward players he played against Morecambe, he he made the point that he hasn't been able to play. Um, his favourite front three is too much this season. You know, Werner's had to play out wide a lot. Pulisic and Ziyech have both been injured. Um, and he wanted to see... Hudson had always been very good recently, so he wanted to see him with Werner in the middle and Ziyech on the right. It was a chance to see. It's almost like a training match. In fact, he actually said that after the game, Lampard. He said, I don't want to be disrespectful to Morgan, but the way we approached this game was a little bit like a training match. You know, I, I just wanted to see things and... And I wanted to give people the chance to play together who haven't had the chance to play together. So I don't think that front three is set in stone for the FA Cup at all, because I'd imagine that front three will probably start against Fulham. Um, And then if they become the front three who are starting in the Premier League, you'd imagine it will then become a different front three for the FA Cup to, to bring about some rotation. So it's going to be quite fluid. But yeah, those players... It is all. It's going to be the, the, the FA Cup. Certainly for the next two rounds, is going to be a, a mean keep uh, a bit more harmony in the squad and keep people playing who haven't been playing much up until the FA Cup started. It's actually quite helpful because because they went out of the EFL Cup to Tottenham. Um, you won't thank me for reminding you of that. Mm. Um, Frank hasn't had that other sort of smaller competition, as it were, to to use the fringe players a bit. So I, I think that will be helpful for his squad actually. Yeah, and I guess a, a follow-up to that question would be, uh, you know, for players who had clearly been lacking confidence or or just performance heading into that, uh, the match against Morecambe, Kai Havertz, Timo Werner, you know, Cal continuing his his good run of games, uh, Billy Gilmore looking very solid. Um, you know, again, you have to temper what this is just because of the, you know, the opposition that you played, but... 
what are your thoughts on on maybe kind of building from scratch on on some of these players and kind of resetting for the second half? Well, clearly they'll be hoping it's a reset for for Werner because if you remember before that international break, Werner I think had scored seven goals in seven games or, or something. It's it's easy to forget. He, he was hot at that point. He was looking really good. Um, and we were talking about someone who'd made a really good start to their Chelsea career. Mm-hmm. So, and you wonder whether, you know, strikers get on runs. Some strikers are streaky and they they go through barren spells and then they get on a run. So that was all about trying to get Werner back on a run. And even though it was a, a scruffy old goal, he didn't have a, an amazing performance. You know, he didn't take Morgan part, but just be praying that, that that sparks something again in Werner. I thought it was a very positive afternoon for Havertz. You know, forget the opposition. He was getting into good places. He was getting into good positions. He was getting into advanced positions. I thought that was interesting. Gilmore, I mean, Gilmore's interesting because I think actually Gilmore, he's been looking to play Gilmore, but he's come back from such a long injury that you have to get minutes into these players to be able to start them without the risk of them breaking down again. And, the nature of the league has been and the nature of their games has been. He hasn't had a game where he can just put him in for sort of 60, 70 minutes to try and build his, his fitness because it, it, they, they've all been must-win games recently, particularly with the run they've been on. So this was just a game to, to get that those minutes into Gilmore. And I, I would be, look, I don't know, I haven't got information on this. I'd be surprised now if Gilmore, you know, Kante's suspended for the Fulham game. He's got an injury anyway. I'd be very surprised if Gilmore didn't start a few games now that, and that that Morgan game was just getting the fitness into his legs so that they're confident to start him in the Premier League. Uh, it's it's definitely something that I think, you know, he's he's been patient. And sometimes, like you said, things change in football. He's just waiting on that opportunity. And it probably has kind of presented itself. Uh, another one that I think we all watched play for 65 minutes, Matt, and just said, I hope he can stay healthy for a long time because we're going to need him if we want to get in the top four this season. And that was Akim Ziyech. His left foot is absolutely wonderful. And poor Morkham didn't close him down in time at all. And he could just mm. pick any pass he wanted. But just to see him on that right flank where he'll just cut back and then it's immediately with his left foot, whips it in, puts it on a dime. Uh, he seems to be extremely crucial to the second half of the season. And like I said, I think a lot of us Chelsea fans were just hanging so much hope on him <laughs> that he can stay healthy. Because it's been a rough start to him in life in England, obviously. Yeah, I, it, it, it's. Um, I'm surprised at how how crucial he is already to that, that front three clicking. No matter who else plays, whether it be Werner in the middle, Tammy in the middle, Werner out wide, Pulisic out wide, Callum out, out wide. On the other side, the front three has never looked as good without Hakim in it, which given he's a, a new signing and, and didn't start the season because of his injury, I'm, I'm quite surprised about. But he just gives them that that little bit of magic, that something a little bit different. He's not an out-and-out wide player, as you say. He cuts and he likes to swing it in. He's got a lovely delivery from the flanks. He's also, as we saw with the Callum goal, can drift in and, you know, just pick one over the top and, and put him through that way. He, he'll drift around. Um, I think it was evident against Manchester City that he wasn't fit enough for that game. Um, you know, the, his lack of covering and his lack of defending got highlighted by the pundits over here. And it was clear he didn't have the fitness to fall back on. And again, that Morecambe game should have given him the match fitness now to fall back on to, to not only 
help with the creative side of Chelsea's game, but also um, not leave them exposed, which he did do in that Man City game. But yeah, I mean, he he looks massive for them at the moment. He, of all the front players, he looks the most important at the moment. But again, that can change. You know, if Werner gets onto a hot streak again, he'll suddenly become the most important. I need that. So uh, made a bet with a buddy, Liverpool mate, and he's pretty bitter <laughs> after Timo didn't uh, come his way. So we said 17 and a half goals. Uh, I took the over. Loser visits the other person. He's in Denver. So to me, it's win-win, honestly. But I would really like Timo to get over 17 and a half. Is that all competitions? No, nope. Just the Premier League, Matt. The Ooh, one where he misses the most. Ouch, yeah, ouch. Yeah. yeah. Um, Good luck. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, Nick, anything else you want to touch on with the draw? I personally couldn't believe our luck when you guys sent that over yesterday. Yeah, I mean, it's the complete opposite of, of last year. Um, it, Matt, I mean, where Chelsea went on uh, basically a murderer's row playing everyone except Man City uh, on the way to the FA Cup final. Um, this is uh, this started off a lot more friendly. I, I think it's great because, like I said, I think it will help the squad. I think that's been a real issue lately, um, not being able to dip into the squad so, as much. So it helps the squad. And also, yeah, getting into, you know, you would hope they would get into a quarterfinal now. Um, it's big for them. You know, the, the FA Cup might not be the most glamorous trophy thereafter, but it's, it's still a big trophy. You look at who wins the FA Cup, it's always one of the top sides. And let's face it, if Chelsea had have won that final last year, despite the bad period they've been in with the, the four defeats and six, I don't think we'd have been talking about Lampard's job as much if he'd had a, a, a trophy in the cabinet. So... Any trophy at the moment, while he hasn't won one, is going to be important for Frank. Um, and I think that can be a really positive competition for him. Uh, minor you- editor's note, though, real quick, and then back to you, Nick. Um, big teams and Arsenal win the FA Cup, just as a Chelsea, <laughs> just as a Chelsea podcast had, had to get that in there. Uh, I, I guess last note before we move into the window, Matt, uh, there's been a lot of bluster um, around you know, per, perceived job security mm-hmm. or not job security for, for Frank. Do you, do you have any uh, kind of thoughts as of uh, as of the 12th of January? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's no such thing as job security at Chelsea. We all know that. Very, very true. There are levels of job security, um, but no such thing as actual job security. Look, Frank knows as well as anyone he's under pressure. You know, you four feet sticks, you find yourself down in sort of ninth, eighth position in the Premier League and if you're a Chelsea manager, the pressure's on you and you've got to get wins. Um, I was very shocked that there was a report that came out on the final whistle after the Man City game saying that, you know, Chelsea were looking at replacements. Um, I thought it was a bit distasteful, if I'm honest with you, but also I, I don't think they're there yet. Clearly, they'll be having people put into them because that's the nature of football. That's the nature of Chelsea's relationship with certain agents who are constantly in their ear about this manager and that manager. So from that perspective, there will have been conversations about replacements because people will have gone to them about them. And it's very obvious who, who's out of jobs and who's not out of jobs. But I, I don't, I, I, I wrote myself, I don't think there is any sort of fixed succession plan there at the moment. I think the hope is he can turn it around. The hope is to be able to stick with him. But, you know, if they don't get results, we, we all know what, what happens at Chelsea. Um, it doesn't happen quite as quickly as it used to these days. 
So, uh, you know, I'd hope they'd, they'd give them a little bit of time. But look, you know, the next year, as you say, we're on the 12th of January. We're talking ahead of the Fulham game. The Fulham game's a big game for Frank. Big game. I, it might not be a decisive game. Whether to lose, I'm not saying he'll get sacked. But it's a big game for him because they've got that win against Morecambe that everyone knew they would get and would have to get. Now you've got to build the momentum again. You've got to get back on a run again and you've got to get up the Premier League again. So the, the, the Fulham game's a really big game for Chelsea and Frank. It, it definitely is. You know, it's just look ahead, Fulham, then Leicester, which are no scrubs. So you don't want to go in essentially three defeats in the league in a row. Then you get Luton Town, thankfully. Wolves, Burnley, Spurs. I mean, it's it's kind of that like zigzag of lower team, competitive team, back and forth. And so we have to pick up the points, especially at the, the bottom teams. Look, uh, obviously, we know the article that went out that stirred up a ton of, of discussion online. I was um, so thrilled to see your article come out and kind of provide another side of the context. Obviously, we're we're frank in. We we're desperate to see him be successful uh, for obvious reasons. But um, just as Chelsea fans go, you know, like you said, it's a it's a results-driven business. He would have known that when he came in. But uh, uh, hopefully, we can turn around. Hey, let's take a real quick break. When we get back, though, it's all about the the wild wild transfer window that's going on right now. If you blinked, you probably missed a lot. Um, we'll get into actually a lot about what Chelsea's going to be doing on the outbound, outbound side. And then I'll maybe wrap with a quick Matt Loss story. So we'll be right back. All right. Um, the, the biggest one right now, Matt, is, is all about Fick. He got a cameo against Morecambe. Uh, I, I joked that I ran and got my kit right away to, to stand in solidarity with Fick in, in the minutes he was given. Um, but, but now he's cup tied. Now he's cup tied for the FA Cup. Yeah, I feel a bit sorry for him. If he if he were to stay in England, he can't play in the FA Cup anymore. So it was a that's, weird cameo. That's wild because everything we've heard is that Fick, you know, after the match, even Frank confirming they're looking at loan options. We've even heard potential rumors about him getting sold this window. Um, what a weird, like twenty minute cameo that he got just to conserve Zuma a little bit. Yeah, it was weird. I I thought all week that Fick was going to start the game. Um, and I know that, that Fick was hoping to start the game. So he, he's not that bothered about being cup-tied for the FA Cup. I, I joke slightly about that. But I found it weird he didn't start. And then it was kind of odd to bring him on. But it does show that Frank almost wanted to send a bit of a message that, you know, I'm, I'm not. this isn't a Marcus Alonso situation with Fick. This isn't someone... I'm completely freezing out. This isn't someone who who maybe isn't showing the motivation I'm after in training. Um, so he probably was trying to do the right thing by him to give him some positivity. Um, albeit now he is cup-tied for the FA Cup where he to move in England. So it has been a really weird situation with Fikayo. It's been one of the most unexplainable issues of the whole Lampard reign, to be quite honest with you. You know, this player who he, he put so much faith in to start with and who he put so much faith in with Derby and who made his England debut to, to just drop off the radar like he did. Um, and, you know, as reporters, we all chase stories. We all make calls on, has there been a fallout? Has this happened? Has that happened? And everything you get back is, no, nothing Nothing dramatic's happened. It's, it's just what it is. And so it's been quite hard to explain. Um, look, I mean, I've been on at you guys for a while, haven't I, that there's been an exciting European team and, and that broke in Italy last night, though it's AC Milan, who 
who had a sniff at fit last summer in the transfer window where he nearly joined West Ham and decided not to. AC Milan were interested then. I think the sporting director at AC Milan, who's whose name I forget off the top of my head, was also Roma sporting director. And I think he tried to sign Fick for Roma. So the sporting director there has a historical like for him. Um, they've come back again. They're after a Strasbourg defender to buy as their main option, a 19-year-old Strasbourg defender. Um, if they can't buy him, and he is injured, and he's also wanted by RB Leipzig, then I'm assured that a Fick loan is their, their second choice. And it would be... Milan want an 18-month loan rather than just a six-month loan, um, which would be kind of similar to when Christensen went to Germany if, if Chelsea were to agree that. I would imagine that Fick would be interested in going there. You know, they're top of Serie A. It's a huge club. It would be an incredible opportunity for him as long as they were giving him some kind of guarantee of minutes. But a new Premier League club is coming for him. I can't say who. It's not Leeds United or Newcastle United who have been linked with him. So a new Premier League club have, have in the last few days made a call on him. And also two La Liga clubs have made a call on him. So he will go this window, I'm sure. He will go on loan, whether it be a six-month loan or an 18-month loan. I think Milan's who died is their choice and Milan would be at the front. But at the moment, there's a few a few situations with Milan that, that make that unclear. So it's probably got a, a week or so to, to play out. But I know Fick is hoping to maybe not let it play out until the end of the window because he's keen to, to go and play. And I don't see, I haven't heard of any desire from Chelsea's point of view or from Fick's point of view to do a permanent transfer this month. I, I, don't, I don't see anyone offering the kind of money Chelsea would want for him because of the COVID impact around the globe. And it's not in Chelsea's interest and it's actually even not in Fick's interest at the moment to, to make that commitment away from Chelsea. Yes. I still think he and the club hope and believe that following a loan and let's see what happens in the summer with some other defenders, that he can maybe get his way back up that pecking order at Chelsea in the long term. I just hear two teams in Spain and you know where my head goes, Matt. So I'm assuming it's Barcelona and Real Madrid. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're not the strongest teams in Spain anymore, are they? We've got to get away yeah, from that traditional true. way of thinking. Also true. Nick, you had a follow-up. Yeah. Uh yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot to break down there, right? I mean, I think just, okay, Premier League loan, still an option. Uh, AC Milan, <laughs> an option. Uh, a couple of La Liga teams. It would seem as if other teams value Fikayo, uh at a high level. Um, and it makes, you know, I think it's compounded a little bit by some of the performances uh, by Rudiger and Christensen in their cameos this season. Um, is is this being looked at as more as a just a break for all parties to hit reset, or is there? I think you know, where we're kind of fearful, more like kind of loan to buy type of 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 options being kind of mooted here. Yeah, I mean, I don't get the impression that that like I say that the the club or Fick is looking at a loan to buy at the moment. Albeit, I am told that. Were AC Milan to do it, they would like an option in there um, whereby at the end of the loan they might be able to buy him because, the, like I say, the sporting director is, is really hot on Fick. Um, it's such a hard situation to explain. I wish I had better answers for you because I'm with you. I, I don't quite understand why he's fifth choice at Chelsea. You know, I can understand that that Zuma and, and Thiago Silva have, have put together a good little partnership and 
and they would be first choice. But after them, I, I, I find it an odd one. And, you know, let's face it, in the summer, Chelsea were trying to sell Rüdiger. Chelsea were definitely trying to sell Rüdiger. There'd been a problem with Rüdiger. And even though that's been patched up, I find it odd that Rüdiger's gone from being a, a defender who Chelsea were trying to sell, who Lampard wasn't putting in his squads, to going back to third-choice centre-back when his performances have been fine, but they haven't been anything that would require the club to make a major change of heart. That feels like it might be a personality issue. You know, Rüdiger is a strong personality and maybe there's a fear that freezing out Rüdiger or putting Rüdiger down to fourth or fifth choice long-term could cause quite a problem. So there may be an issue with keeping the player happy there, but... There's going to be the central defensive positions. You know, we we spent a lot of last summer talking about central defence and we'll talk a lot of next summer talking about central defence because I would imagine that both Christensen and Rüdiger will will look to leave at the end of the season. They're not going to look to leave now. Then you're going to have a situation with Fick where he'll have been on loan somewhere or might still be on loan somewhere. So there could be really quite an overhaul of the the central defensive squad positions come next summer. And... All of this has got to be taken into consideration when you make these decisions. You know, if you give Fick an 18-month loan now in the knowledge that you could have Christensen and Rüdiger knocking on the door asking to go in the summer, then that's three central defenders. And I know they're one, they've got one too many, but you'd still leave yourself two central defenders light then starting next season. So you're not only then looking to sign one, you're looking to sign two, or you're looking at bringing in Mark Way back from... Swansea and having him part of the first team squad. There's a, a load of decisions to be made there. And this, this Fick decision will, will give a pointer. If Fick goes on 18 months, it will give a pointer to where it's all heading. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's a long, long time away, especially with all these development things. Look, we, we also know that the left back side is, is lopsided. We've already talked about Marcus Alonso. Uh, Emerson's gotten some decent time, but you've preached on many a pods with us, Matt, that the squad is too large. And I think that was probably even tied back to a little bit of chat about Morecambe and who played and why did those people play? Yeah. You can talk about Emerson's in Italy international, Jorginho's obviously international, Aspi done, you know, but is obviously a very established first team player. Uh, it's, it's Drew's even on the bench still at that point. So, um, where do you see, if any, Chelsea able to thin this squad out? It's a real problem. Look, I, I, I think you, you guys know that I, I cover Tottenham quite closely as well, um, which I get some stick for from Chelsea fans on Twitter. But just to relate this a little bit, I remember when everything started going wrong for Tino Tottenham, um, Pochettino had a press conference with a few of us when we were still allowed to obviously go and be there in person with him and we, we could talk privately with him. And Pochettino spoke privately with a few of us regulars at, at Tottenham and, and talked to us about why selling the players you need to sell is just as important as buying the players you need to buy. And he was telling us, because we would write all the time, that you know, Tottenham don't aren't signing anyone and Daniel Levy's not signing anyone. But he was making the point that just as important as Tottenham weren't selling anyone and Daniel Levy wasn't selling anyone. And he wasn't able to turn over the squad and it was creating some negativity behind the scenes, whether it be players actually causing problems or just the fact that motivation levels were difficult to to keep going. It's showing to be similar at at Chelsea in terms of not being able to sell players. And 
I don't blame Marina for this because this is a COVID thing. Nobody's been able to sell players. Look at, you know, Jesse Lingard still at, at, at Manchester United. Mesut Ozil wasn't given a squad number at Arsenal. All the big clubs with players on big wages have not been able to shift players. So this isn't a Chelsea problem. This is a coronavirus problem. It's a it's an impact of the pandemic and the fact that people haven't got the money to even loan these players because they can't take on the wages. So, but it has caused a real issue um, at at Chelsea, and I think that I think that Chelsea's squad is at least four to five senior players too too heavy. Um, I'm pretty sure that Frank would like to to get out at least three senior players this window if he could, but I'd be surprised if he could. I, I would imagine maybe one. I could see Alonso getting a loan at some point, but. I can't see a lot else out there given the wages and given the, the money involved. So he's going to have to try and manage it, but it's a really difficult situation because if you've got three left-backs to the club, if you play, let's just break it down. If you play a training match, you can't even play all the left-backs as left-backs. <laughs> so one of the left-backs either is not playing or is playing in one of the teams in a training match is not a left-back. So that guy is not going to feel very motivated and not going to be particularly positive around the place. Similarly with the centre-backs, it's difficult even just for training drills, let alone picking your team. It creates right. a strange atmosphere at the training round as well because you just have guys who are international footballers who are used to being in the mix every week who know they're not really going to get near it. And then those guys are friends with other guys, are friends with other guys. You know, Rüdiger knows Werner and Havertz really well. Alonso and the Spanish connection know each other well. I'm not saying these guys are going around saying, oh, you know, this is terrible. We should all put our feet up. But, you know, they're not going to... Let's face it, if you're in a job and you're not having a very good time in your job, or if I'm a journalist and I'm doing all my research and then not getting to go to a game, I'm not going to be talking very positively about it, even to my friends or colleagues. And that's human nature. That's why... It's so important that at some stage they streamline this squad. But unfortunately, with the pandemic and the fact that rates are rising in this country and that, that finances aren't getting any better because no fans have come back, I can't see them being able to do a lot. And as I say, that that's not Chelsea's fault or a Chelsea problem. It's a situation of where football is. It's a lot to unpack. It's <laughs> I don't think when Chelsea were buying all this summer they thought they'd run into these issues, but it, it definitely is what it is. So I think it's the simple answer. We're just going to have to kind of balance the squad this season. One one question I have for you, and I've, I haven't really fully developed this yet, Matt, and maybe you don't either. It, we, we did touch on it, I guess, a couple episodes, Nick. Um, it seems like Frank's management approach is different this season. Last season, it seemed very much a meritocracy. Young players are playing. You know, there weren't a lot of expectations. We were we really wanted to get into top four, but you could understand if not. Frank, first season Chelsea, no Eden Hazard, transfer ban. This season, it seems like he's more willing to play players with big price tags rather than a pure meritocracy. Do you feel like that's changed this season and maybe that's affecting kind of the squad composition? I, I hear what you're saying and I've thought about this because there have been selections that have surprised me because of that meteocracy as you you see i mean just for instance you know the way he stuck with with Werner and and you know there's a stat around that 
I think there's still only the Brighton game they've won in the league where Tammy hasn't been on the pitch at some stage. So the stats would tell you that Chelsea win more games than they don't when Tammy's got some minutes on the pitch, usually starting, whether you, you rate him as the club's best striker or not. And yet he will go with Werner more often. And, and as you say, he's, he's obviously trying to, to go with Havertz and, and Ziyech. But I think Frank has seen at, at Chelsea, and it's so difficult to judge because last season we just didn't have this because they couldn't sign any players. But I think Frank has seen at Chelsea, he's been in those squads where they've spent big money on big talents and big players. Um. And then they've just been allowed to sort of, you know, waste away almost. You know, they've been given two or three games. They've not done well. And I mean, we can all think of Salah and De Bruyne, but there's more instances at Chelsea. I've, I've spoken to people about Chelsea about this, and it's a difficult place to succeed because in the past, new players would come in and, you know, you don't play well for five games. That can sometimes have been you done at Chelsea pretty much in the past. You know, you, you'll get other opportunities here and there, but pretty much the... The decisions made. Um, the, the the winger who came in one January, I can't remember his name. Jose brought him in from Italy, um, who went to Juventus. Uh, I can't remember his Quadrado. name. Quadrado. Quadrado. Uh, yeah, Quadrado. Quadrado. <laughs> yeah, big money on him. And, you know, Jose looked at him for a few games, thought, no, actually, don't fancy it. And that, that was him done at Chelsea. And I think Frank is keen for that not to happen now, for them to not waste money and waste talent. And he wants to give these players chance to to actually have a future at Chelsea, even if it means them having to, to play through these difficult moments and difficult times. But he's having to do it at the cost of leaving other players out and, and risking other players becoming unhappy because of it. And he's just willing to put up with that. But, but it, you know, it has surprised me a little bit, some of his selections from that point of view, because it's not, it's not as simple as you play well, you play the next game, or it hasn't been that simple before. Um, he obviously has certain plans for certain games and he has certain plans for certain players who he sees as the club's big players moving forwards. Yeah, that 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 to me is the the interesting part, right? Because at this point like there's I mean we're on, we're on the 12th already of the month, right? Like even if even if you had the perfect you know kind of lineup of players that you wanted to get out, you only have you know, roughly 18 days to figure this out at this point, Matt, like what's, what's a point of no return in terms of like timing for Chelsea? I mean, I know deals get done late in the window, but especially this year, like, is there like a kind of a Chelsea? Buy -buy? No, Chelsea and traditionally over the last five or six years, actually, and especially the January transfer window go very late, very, very late. Um, they tend to, you know, Daniel Levy's quite famous for leaving things late, but in actual fact, Marina in a January transfer window, certainly the last, like I say, five, six years, has, has left things very late to drive drive hard bargains, yeah. hard prices. And also, FA Cup fourth round is a factor in terms of clubs maybe coming in for players or clubs uh, or Chelsea letting players go because I want a very big squad up until the, they, they can, you know, for that fourth round, they'll want pretty much everybody available. Other, other teams might want to know whether they're still in the FA Cup after the fourth round before they're committing to a to a player. It's going to be late. It's going to be really late. I don't see any cutoff point, to, to be quite honest with you. Um, 
in terms of outgoings, which I think we're mainly talking less as a, a bit of a surprise on the income. And then um, I think it will just go up to the last minute. I think, like I say, Tamori, I think might might get done a bit earlier just because I know he's extremely keen to go and play some football. And I know there is sympathy within Chelsea to to try and help with that if they can. Well, I it's to the point where we ask you about outgoings with zero expectations, and that's just the way it is. Not even going to bother asking about Declan Rice, because, I mean, let's just be honest, that's not a thing. Wish it were, though. Um, anyways, we just want to wrap here, Matt, with a, a quick story, a transfer-themed story, maybe. Um, I'd be interested to hear if there was a transfer that fell apart right at the 11th hour, that at the end of it all, you'd been prepped, briefed, everything was ready to go and then you stayed up past the window and it didn't happen is there one that just blew your mind that it didn't get done um do you know what it it didn't go to the last day at all but it blew my mind we've spoken about this so i'm not going to go into this one into detail because we've spoken about i was stunned when they didn't sign lukaku when when united came in and got lukaku because i i was all over the lukaku story for a very long time and I know a few things that I can't repeat on here and it, it was just at, at one level, it was just done, you know, and it didn't get done. But we've spoken a lot about Lukaku on here. Alexandro in that same interest, do you remember him, the, the left mm. back? He was one I was convinced was coming. But one of the weirdest ones, and this isn't one that fell apart, this is one that happened, was a few Januarys ago when Higuain came in. Um, Sari was desperate to get Higuain. Now, this was a really weird one because... We started to get wind of this sort of interest from Italy. Um, obviously, Sari's kind of old uh, journalistic colleagues in Italy got got wind of his interest in, in getting Higuain into, into Chelsea. And it was complicated anyway because he was out on loan and, and all this business. And, and you, you started to ask people around Chelsea about it. And you got the feeling quite early doors that, that Chelsea really didn't want to sign Higuain. So it was all very tentative. And then... And then it just became clearer and clearer that they were going to sign Higuain despite the fact that no one at Chelsea bar Sari wanted him. You know, it was very clear that, that you know, as with all, all signing, prospective signings, it would have gone to the analysis team. And it was pretty clear that the analysis team were saying, no, this guy is not suitable for the Premier League. His legs have gone. He's overweight. This is not a good signing. Let's not do it. Then you were getting... I mean, you know, Marina doesn't talk to anyone, but you were getting steers from other sides of Chelsea that that maybe Marina had been looking at the finances of the deal, didn't like the finances of the deal because he was very expensive. His wages were expensive. It was a big loan fee for six months with the option to make it longer. Didn't like it from that perspective. Then you were talking to people who were involved in the scouting of other strikers and they were kind of saying, well, it means we can't get X, Y, Z. We don't like it. Nobody at Chelsea wanted to sign Higuain apart from Sari, And yet, Chelsea at that moment were invested in trying to back. They're, they're so often accused of not backing their managers. This was a real instance of Chelsea backing their manager against all their good judgment. Every part of good judgment within that club was raising red lights. Do not sign this guy. Do not sign this guy. It's bad economically. It's bad from a sporting perspective. It's bad from... Um, cutting off opportunities to other players. And yet they went and signed him. And guess what? The club were right and sorry was wrong. And that's not me having to go. But before as well, I, I get battered on Twitter by the Maurizio Sarri uh, disciples 
this isn't me trying to have a go at Sari. I have just not known a situation covering any club, whether it be Tottenham, Chelsea, Arsenal, whoever, where there's been such a strong divide of a manager being desperate to sign a player and a club being knowing full well it was going to be a bad signing and yet still doing it. Yeah, I, I remember the press or like the press conference around that loan deal and you look back on it now and Marina basically had to grit and grin through that. <laughs> I mean, it, like it was it's it was an awkward one for sure. Uh, it, I guess was it just more of a security blanket for for sorry, just someone he knew. Sorry, sorry knew like, him. Um, he, he he'd been great. Look, don't let's not forget. I mean, he had been phenomenal for Sari at Napoli, um, yeah. and he obviously thought he could get that back out of him. Higuain had spoken about feeling like he was a son son of Sari, but I mean, they were literally signing him on the hope that against all the stats, against all the good opinion, against all the good advice, that for some reason this guy with Sari just turns into a different beast. And and he didn't, and it didn't work out. And like I say, this isn't me going, having a go at Sari. I just, it was just such a weird situation of knowing pretty much everybody thought it was going to be a bad signing, but, but hoping against hope it might work out just because of Sari was desperate to get him. And as I say, we we often accuse Chelsea of not backing their managers, and and that was an instance where they kind of backed him against all their good judgment. Uh, w- one last one last thing, we'll let you go. Is there is there anyone that's kind of the opposite? Which it, it's so obvious, so poorly hidden, uh, such a long tail that that it was just the easiest thing in the world to to cover. Oh, there's been a few of them. Um, Diego Costa, I seem to remember, was quite. There was a there was a buyout clause. I think we knew from early early in in the year, going up to that summer transfer window, that that Diego Costa was on his way. I think he he was saying nice things in the press about Chelsea. Um, they played Atletico Madrid that year, and there was stuff going on around that. And then you know, let's put it on the other side: Eden Hazard and Real Madrid. That went on for a whole two years almost. Worst kept secret mm-hmm. ever that that Eden, despite loving Chelsea and despite giving everything to Chelsea, he was also desperate to play for Real Madrid. And however much he had to be careful what he said in the press, however much some people would try and deny it sometimes, it was always clear that Eden Hazard was one day going to move to Real Madrid. Chelsea knew it. Eden Hazard knew it. Real Madrid knew it. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. that hasn't quite worked out. But that, I mean... That was clear for like two years. And it was really hard to explain to people because people thought you said that he's desperate to join Real Madrid. And they'd say, well, no, he loves Chelsea. And you would try and say to them, the two things aren't mutually exclusive. He loves Chelsea and he's desperate to play for Real Madrid. It's not an either or situation. And and his window as a player for playing for Real Madrid was was closing pretty quickly. So exactly. It, it, exactly. Naturally. Yep. Oh, well, look. Uh, not the drama you usually expect from a transfer window, but hey, I don't think any of us need any more drama in our lives right now. <laughs> like maybe it's good for all of us that this is just straight and simple. But uh, Matt, thanks as always for elaborating on your articles, the emails, the stuff that you put out. Uh, hopefully, we we are able to give you a little bit more of a long form approach to some of the stuff. But again, uh, appreciate all of the insight and you jumping on. Cheers, guys. All right, well, next up is Fulham at the weekend, so let's take care of business. Nick, thanks for being here. Listeners, chat with us online. We want to hear more from you. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. 
Keep the blue flag flying high.